It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to the party. I'm Sam Ekstrom of Locked On Sports Minnesota. Arif Hassan is a late scratch, so that makes two consecutive shows where we won't see his face. Luke Inman, Superior Sports Talk, back in the green after my gambling picks, ready to keep the hot streak rolling. Luke Braun, Locked On Vikings podcast, and I'm just glad to be free of that mask. Sam, Luke, and Luke today on the Minnesota Football Party on Locked On Sports Minnesota. Locked On Sports Minnesota podcast. It's endless Minnesota Vikings talk with the diverse voices of your local experts. It's time for the Minnesota Football Party. It's your guys hanging out talking next level Vikings football. So join in with Pro Football Network's Arif Hassan, Locked On Vikings Luke Braun, Superior Sports Talk's Luke Inman, and Vikings Insider Sam Ekstrom, plus the biggest names in Minnesota football for the Minnesota Football Party. And it starts now. Back at it on the Minnesota Football Party. Welcome to the show. My name's Sam Ekstrom on Twitter, at Sam Ekstrom. You can find me on the Ron Johnson Show as well and the Lockdown Vikings postcast here on Lockdown Sports Minnesota. Joined today by Luke Inman of Superior Sports Talk with Reggie Wilson. You can find him on Twitter, at Luke underscore Spinman. And Luke Braun of Lockdown Vikings, Lockdown Vikings postcast. He's at Luke Braun NFL on Twitter. Um... Gentlemen, there's so much to get to today. We're going to talk TJ Hawkinson trade, all the ins and outs, all the hot takes from that deal. Kirk Cousins returns to Washington, his first trip back to see his former team, and plenty more to come, including a visit from Ron Johnson, our usual Thursday guest. Before we jump into that, download the Amazon Fire and Roku apps, people. It is one of the best ways to consume Locked On Sports Minnesota shows. Get it on your TV for a seamless viewing experience. You get Ron Johnson, you get Superior Sports Talk, you get Minnesota Football Party, and all of the postcasts, including Marnie Gellner on Locked On Wolves this season and Kevin Gorg on Locked On Wild. It's good stuff. Check it out. Oh, yeah, and Luke Braun and I on the Locked On Vikings postcast as well. All right, guys. TJ Hawkinson is in the building. Trade deadline move by the Vikings. Hawkinson comes to Minnesota. Vikings ship off a second and a future third, and they also get two-fourths in return. Hawkinson spoke to reporters yesterday. You can find that video on our YouTube channel. Uh, Luke Inman, let's get the take, man. TJ Hawkinson is a Viking. Oh, my gosh. How exciting. What I'm probably most excited about, people understand the play-action game, the tight end is just so important. The over-routes across the field, the seam routes up the middle. I think he's an upgrade for Merv Smith in virtually every department. The little things, too, like cutting the DNs off on the backside, helping at the point of attack. And then again, specifically, though, in that play-action game, I think he's going to be a huge upgrade. We all know Kirk, throughout his career, kind of somewhat lived off that play-action game. Now in this system, he's thrown more play-action passes than ever. Last three years, he's averaged about 120 play-action passes. This year, he's on pace for 192. That's about four to five more play-action passes every game. When you got a tight end who's such a mismatch on linebackers and safeties, I think it just adds another element to your passing uh, passing offense that defenses have to account for. I looked it up. Irv Smith's EPA, according to player profile, 5.3 this year. That ranked 35th among all tight ends. Now you bring in Hawkinson. His EPA was plus 24.9. Call it 25, which is third best among all tight ends in the league. So just a huge swing in the positive for the entire Vikings offense when this guy's going to be on the field. Brian, let's go to you. Your reaction to the trade. Oh, yeah. I'm hyped as heck on this. This this dude rules. This is, I, I think, just a super upgrade on all three tight ends that the Vikings have been kind of going by committee. And one of the tells that they've had for defenses was which tight end was out there. It's not unlike the old, like, that the one Matt Asiata, Jarek McKinnon year, where when Jarek McKinnon went out, it was a pass play. And when Matt Asiata went out, it was a run play. And defenses knew that. And it was really easy to defend them. Kind of the same thing you had with tight ends. If Ben Ellison was out there, we're running that ball like 80% of the time. If if Irv Smith was out there, it was way more likely to be a pass. Well, 
TJ Hawkinson can do what Ben Ellison did on run plays, can do what Irv Smith did on pass plays, can be that guy play in and play out, only rotating out, you know, just to to mix things up like you would with any tight end. But uh, that solves one problem just by virtue of him being there and him having that skill set. But also, um, he is a better blocker than Irv Smith. And I think he's better at both blocking and receiving than, than Johnny Munt. Um, we were looking down the barrel of ending this season with Johnny Munt as the primary tight end. And he just is not consistent enough for me to be comfortable with that. He's had some really cool highlight plays. He's had some really embarrassing low light plays. He's a very up and down player. TJ Hawkinson is not. And that is, it's so exciting to get a player that ranks in the top 10 of tight ends by pretty much anything you want to measure him by and to get him for the cost of moving down a couple rounds in the middle of the draft for a couple years. I don't know what the Lions are doing. <laughs> it's, it's a great deal. And there you see Hawkinson. He's got a career high this year in some of the more explosive plays, a couple of huge games on his resume this season. And like Braun said, Top 10 across the board in most metrics. Kevin O'Connell also called out what you just did, Luke, Braun, in that he gives them a lot of roster flexibility because he is a three-down tight end. He prides himself on that, and he's going to be able to help him in the run game and the pass game. Um, I would have been happy with this trade, healthy Irv or not, because the Kirk Cousins numbers when targeting tight ends had been abysmal, you know, with, with Irv Smith. So now you solve for, obviously, your current predicament, which is an injured tight end. But you also solve for the predicament next year, where we've been talking about shedding your number one tight end for a third straight year. What are you going to do in 2023? Now you've got your answer. And you can play out the fifth-year option. It's, it's decently affordable. Or you can come up with some kind of extension that maybe lowers that cap number next year and keep him around long term. Um, you've got options. But I like this crazy trend that's developing, bringing in players with multiple years of team control, not rentals, and guys that can potentially have impacts down the road, um, and they can you know carve out roles for them next year as well. So I think there's limitless options, and it all plays into that two-year window where we're talking two-year window with Kirk, right? Like two-year window before the big Jefferson money kicks in. Uh, Daniil kind of on that two-year window. A lot of your big defensive contracts. And Hawkinson fits right into that plan as you see what Detroit receives. That's going to be like the 60th, or I guess I should I should be more confident, the 64th overall pick in the second round that the Vikings give up. And Detroit is probably giving the Vikings like the 100th pick. Like it's not that big a difference with as good as the Vikings look to be and as bad as the Lions look to be, Luke. I mean, the uh, Inman. The compensation doesn't phase me at all. I don't feel like the Vikings got fleeced whatsoever. Oh, not at all. I think you look at some of the other trades around the NFL, and for the high-caliber talent and player, the big name that you're getting, he was a young building block, or so we thought, in Detroit. Out of all the guys that they were going to move if they were going to have a fire sale, TJ Hawkinson, I would have thought, would have been at the bottom of the list. So to give up that second and third and really just move down, like you said, about 40 spots or so in those rounds, I think as a Viking fan, you take that all day. You look at just the national media outlets for Vikings, they give given a great solid to really good. For the Lions grade, it's pretty below average to terrible. So uh, a lot of frustration from a lot of Lions fans, and rightfully so, giving away such a young building block for really, it seems like, pretty cheap at the end of the day. The Detroit talk radio hates this. They're yeah, so upset by it because Detroit kind of hit the reset button last year, and I think fans mm -hmm. assumed they were past this. This was the group they were going forward with, and then they give up a former first-round pick in Hawkinson um, instead of just, you know, sitting on that asset and collecting the compensatory, um, they get a second and a third and they swap fourths. And, and it's not like it's a huge haul for Detroit, who's completely fallen off the wagon, Luke Braun. Football Timberwolves. Just constantly rebuilding, always young, with a, with a promising core. That. Let's see if they can make it to the playoffs for a first round, round exit once every 20 years. I, I, I will say we had Jeff Risden on yesterday, Superior Sports Talk. Go check out that episode. He's outstanding, Lions insider. And 
you know, he wasn't happy with, um, you know, the package they got back. That's fair to say. Everybody knows that. But he did kind of go in the depths of, all right, they probably were going to have a hard time paying him $11.9 million if they, you know, offered that fifth year on his contract. And then after that, he's asking minimum what David Njoku got in Cleveland, four years, $54 million. And it sounded like just in their system, we know, look at the targets per game. He's averaging, what, four-ish, maybe five targets per game this season. The way they were using the tight end, they weren't going to be able to um, justify spending that kind of money on that him, a young building block. Uh, the money more than the compensation back, I think, was in the back of their minds looking at the big scheme in this whole thing. But, yeah, you're right, Sam. All in all, across the country, specifically in Detroit, a lot of people hate this move uh, if you're a Lions fan. Bill Barnwell wrote They're... about this today. I, I thought he made a good point. Luke, let me let me swing this by you, and then you can add on what you were going to say. Um, he points out that the difference between the tight end market and wide receiver market is so dramatic that teams may approach roster building in a way where they prioritize an upper echelon tight end because of the value there, whereas – you're paying TJ Hawkinson down the road the same that you would pay like a wide receiver three in some cases at like $13, $14 million per year because the top wide receivers are making 30, top tight ends are making 15. Um, and that might be an approach that Quazy wants to take, knowing that he has to pay Justin Jefferson money, that if you go in at tight end as one of your top like three playmakers on offense, you shed the running back money, you shed the Thielen money, and then you go forward with that in mind. What do you think about that? Yeah, the, the way Brzezinski structured this cap over the last like three years, 2022 was the, the sort of pain year. This is the year where Dalvin Cook costs real money but isn't really flexible. This was a year of um, Kirk Cousins on that $45 million hit you had to do something about. This was a year where a lot of the worst cap stuff happened. You look at 23-24, there's more flexibility than the Vikings have had in like five, six years to deal with that kind of stuff. Um, but if you just told me, what would you say, Luke? Four years, 54? I, okay. Yeah, yep. I, I think I'm okay with that. Mm -hmm. um, because the thing is, mm -hmm. one of the things that Detroit was really upset about was that his run blocking, and I think this is a PFF grade take, but apparently they're, they're not that happy with his run blocking. Um, apparently there is a huge split, whether it's PFF or SIS or whatever, um, between his blocking on zone plays and his blocking on, depending on where you are looking, they'll call it man or gap, which is like power trap counter, those kind of bigger boy plays. We don't run that stuff very much. We run a lot more zone because we're a McVay team. And Hawkinson's a lot better at that. So there might be a scheme fit thing where, where Hawkinson's blocking um, looks a little bit more like it did when he was in college just by virtue, just, just because we call the plays he's better at more often. Yeah, and, and you um, know, I'll just touch on what Sam mentioned about uh, Bill Barnwell. You know, it's team to team. Tight end is so different in, in the ways they schematically approach each week-to-week -week game plan. Like, again... TJ Hawkinson was, what, in Detroit averaging about four, maybe five targets per game this season. And I think it was Travis Kell said on his podcast, it's not that some tight ends are so much better than others all the time. It's that some schemes use tight ends a lot in their offense, and some schemes don't. Granted, if you got a guy like Kells or Mark Andrews or George Kittle, uh, you know, they're the most talented tight ends in the league more times than not. If you scheme up a game plan for a tight end on any given week, They'll probably go off. Isaiah Likely for Baltimore was a good example. Goes off last week for the Ravens because the Ravens scheme tight end so much. Mark Andrews goes out, Likely comes in. I think he had six catches, something like 67 yards and a touchdown. Is Isaiah Likely that good? Is he one of the better tight ends in the game? I don't think so. Not yet anyways. But I think the way Baltimore schemes their tight ends put him in a very good position. And I think, you know, circling back to the Vikings versus what Detroit used TJ Hawkinson for uh, with the Lions game plan, KOC doesn't scheme the tight end to the level like Baltimore does. Probably nobody does. But we've all, um, already kind of seen this year how much he does use the tight end, how important it is for the offense. And going from Irv's kind of inconsistencies to Hawkinson's big playability, I think it's going to mean really good things for this offense. I would say this. The Hawkinson you're getting now is as good, if not better, than Pete Kyle Rudolph. Agreed on that point? Mm-hmm. 
Sure. I, I think, I, like, if you look at the production from Rudolph and then consider his lack of blocking ability for most of his career, I think it's a great move. He's 25 years old. Um, last one on Hawkinson. Of all the stats, of all the qualities that he has, and there's a lot of good ones. It's contested catches. It's yak. Um, what quality excites you most about this new acquisition, Luke Braun? Uh, I talked about it a little bit already, but it's versatility. Um, the mm-hmm. point of tight ends, and I, I think a lot of people get really lost in, like Detroit fans for, for sure, and Detroit media, the sour grapes tend to sort of mold themselves around like, well, he's just, he has like two receiving games a year. And it's like, well, that's like one thing that a tight end does. And while, you know, blocking on play action is not going to show up on the stat sheet, it shows up on someone's stat sheet. And that is what I, I think people need to focus on with tight ends. Because when you can be on the field and you can do four different jobs you can block you can be part of a a chip and go out and be a check down you can be a clear out you can run a real route you can run block like when you can do all of those things and only cost one roster spot and one of 11 spots on the field that creates so much more flexibility especially on play action and that would probably be the other thing is because he can run block on, say, a zone run and, say, take on a defensive end, well, on a bootleg play action, a tight end will end up one-on-one with that defensive end a lot. And that guy's got to be able to hold up. He's not going to have any help. And if he stinks, it's a sack. And Hawkinson can do that, I think, better than somebody like Herb Smith could. Um, That is very exciting. I, I... think I said it on Locked On or I said it on maybe Locked On Sports today. I think this puts 300 more yards on Justin Jefferson this year. Mm. Mm. I like that. Nice. Nice. Mm-hmm. Luke Inman, anything that particularly excites you about the, the trait that he brings here? No, Luke, Luke touched on it. It's the versatility, right? I mean, he just checks all these boxes that when you compare them specifically to Irv Smith, just so much better. I looked up a few stats on player profile. And again, really highlighting things. We've already heard about him being such a good pass catcher, but in comparison to Irv, really encouraging about just much how much of an upgrade you're going to get. Yards per route ran. Irv Smith, 31st ranked tight end in the league. TJ Hawkinson, ninth best tight end in the league. Huge upgrade. Yards per target. Irv Smith, 36th tight end. Hawk, sixth best tight end. 30 spots higher. Massive upgrade. Air yards, Irv is 26. Hawkinson is eighth. Yards after the catch, Irv 26th again in the league. Hawkinson is fourth. Maybe the best one, though. Yards per reception, Irv Smith 7.6 yards per. 36th best tight end, Hawkinson number one tight end in the league averages 15.2 yards per reception. So it's not just one thing, like Luke said, it's a lot of different things, a variety of things, specifically in the passing game, but don't forget about the blocking and chipping DNs like Luke mentioned as well. He's the total package. And as Hawkinson called out in his press conference, he's seen the memes and they are wonderful. It's like when you compare the president, when he goes into office versus goes out of office, he comes in this clean cut boy out of Iowa and he leaves looking like the Vikings logo. He looks like the Norseman. Shrek. Uh, the, the man bun good look and for the mustache. Him. Yeah. The, the scruff. Yeah, no, I think it, it's kind of Kittle-like. Um, and I like channeling that. Yeah. Ron Johnson to come shortly. But first, a reminder that Bet Online is your number one source for football betting this season and, of course, the new NBA season. All the latest lines from all the games and all the sports. And we keep particularly close look on the Vikings line around here. It's been waffling between three and a half and four. Currently, the Vikings favored by three and a half at BetOnline.net against Washington over under 43 and a half. I peeked at the Gophers for Saturday in Nebraska. Gophers favored by 16 against the Cornhuskers, not not, not a good place to be if you're a Cornhuskers fan. I can't decide whether it's worse to be Lions or Cornhuskers at this point. It's bad. Um, you can get that and plenty more at betonline.net. It's MMA, boxing, and golf as well. It's everything. Betonline.net. Head to the website or on your mobile device. It's where the game starts. Dalvin Tomlinson injury impact. Let's touch on that quickly. He is likely out for Sunday. Kevin O'Connell couldn't have been more transparent while trying to be optimistic basically saying yeah he's not going to play this week 
So that means a lot of James Lynch, a lot of Ross Blacklock, I guess, um, playing on that defensive line. Braun, uh, you were concerned about this, and now looking like he's out, what do you think the impact is? Well, they'll be able to run the ball that much better, right? Um, I actually like what I've seen from James Lynch in run defense this year. He's given up some push a little bit, but he's made a lot of pretty good play, uh, plays across gaps, and I, I think he's been a decent nose as a rotational guy. Blacklock's been a disaster. Um, and I guess you got this Tonga guy, which I don't really know too much what to make of him. I yeah, thought he was kind of up knows. and down in his limited yep. snaps. Um, but I guess you got to rotate those guys and and hope that this doesn't mean, you know, the the commander's run game hasn't been too much to write home about, especially with Brian Robinson as good of a, a story as he has been. I think he's got like statistically one of the worst, uh, one of the he's one of the least efficient running backs in the league right now, and you just kind of hope that that doesn't turn into something to a boon for the commanders just because we have one guy out. I would like to see more James Lynch than either of the other two guys. Uh, but I am also kind of curious to see how that rotation plays out. It sort of will will tip the Vikings' hand in terms of how they feel about some of those depth guys. When when you got three guys like that, yeah, I'm curious as well. What's that rotation? What's the snap count going to look like? End of the day, though, yeah, you're right. Massive blow to lose him. I think as good as Harrison Phillips has been to that defensive line, Dalvin specifically in the run game, uh, losing him, that's a tough pill to swallow. Currently, I think he's the seventh best, highest graded player on the entire team, according to PFF. So anytime you lose one of your top seven players, tough to replace him. Um, good news is, again, while they can't replicate him with one guy, I think they do have a deep enough rotation to help just soften the blow. You'd expect Phillips and Bullard to be the two guys on the field the most. That third spot, you mentioned James Lynch. think he played 27 snaps Sunday. He's probably the first guy up. Tonga got 16 snaps, more of a first and second down kind of guy. And then, you know, what's up with Ross Blacklack? I'm still trying to figure it out. Worst defensive graded player per PFF in the game versus the Cardinals. But then, you know, Sam, you're at TCO a lot. You hear the coaches just speak so highly of this guy every chance they get. And remember, I mean, two years ago, when he came out, it was well-known. He was unrefined, pretty raw. It was going to take some time for him. But he had all the physical tools to be a really good player, good enough to be drafted in basically the top 40 picks. So keep an eye on the snap count, Luke's right. Uh, it's going to probably tell us how confident they are in all three of these guys. He got 19 snaps last Sunday. So, yeah, there's not one guy that can fill those big shoes of Tomlinson, but a rotation of those three, um, certainly, hopefully, you can kind of soften the blow. And at the end of the day, though, I, I still think you're going to expect to feel that loss of Tomlinson to some degree, especially in the run game, uh, where this team's actually been pretty solid as of late. Yeah, I'm, I'm willing to give Blacklock, I guess, a little bit of a chance considering the small sample size he's had, but none of us were excited about that pickup when they when they traded for him. Like, we knew that he was had issues in Houston. It's not like he had any expectations at all. So kind of to be expected that he might be struggling a little bit. And, you know, one of the first real losses the Vikings have had on that defense, other than one game of Harrison Smith, they've been totally healthy. So they'll have to fill in for Tomlinson uh, oh. and try to patch things together. Might but, get a lot of uh, Jonathan Bullard too. If yeah, and he was he was inactive because of an illness. Is that correct? Last week, and now you know, yesterday, Wednesday, first day of the injury report, he was he was cleared to practice. He was not on that injury report. Is that correct? That is correct. Yeah, and Cam Bynum, I believe, missed practice with a for a personal matter, or was that no? Dantzler had a neck limited. Somebody Bynum had an missed illness. with a personal matter. Somebody did have an illness. I can't remember who it was, but Zadarius was we'll limited with the knee. I think he's probably going to be limited all week, but will play. And Thielen, full with a knee. I mean, he just mm. he keeps showing up at practice, shows up every game, gets hurt, and then comes back on the field. It's unbelievable the way that uh, that he's able to to bounce back from that. Um, Jalen Naylor Johnson, had the illness. Jalen Naylor had the illness. Oh, okay. Um, we can start our nerdy stats of the day while we await for Ron. Um, we got the animation for that, Matt. Let me tap dance for a second while you queue it up. It's our nerdy stat of the day. We don't have a reef, so this will probably um, bring the nerdiness down considerably, which is unfortunate, but let's run it. 
Analytics fans rejoice. It's time to get educated. Whoa, you're blowing my mind right now. With the nerdy stat of the day. It's the absolute best. Thank you to the animators. Uh, Kirk Cousins has a 37-game streak with a touchdown in every game. Longest active streak in the league. He has three games in his Vikings career where he does not have a touchdown. Would anybody like to hazard guesses as to which games those were? This is great. Great for the listeners. The silence. Yeah. Cut this out so that it looks like we came up with our answers a lot faster. Yeah, real quick. (laughs) Top of our head. (laughs) Uh, 2018 Patriots? Incorrect. No, I think he had one to Thielen in that game. Um, one of them was a win. Two of them were losses. I will tell you the win, and it's relevant to this week because it was against the Washington football team. Hmm. Oh, it was a Thursday night. Okay. Thursday night, ugly, slugfest Vikings. Oh, you know, gross way game. To a victory. Alexander Madison Horrible. converting Ugh. that third and 19. Ugh. And the Vikings <laughs> going forward on fourth and one at their own 30, which was so on Zimmer-like, and they wore mm-hmm. the um, – Color Rush jerseys, really, really bad. Mm-hmm. The others, Indianapolis, Week 2, 2020. Oh, that was my second and, guess. And 2019, I believe, Bears. Or no, 2018. Oh! 16-6. No, that was the 2019 Stefan Diggs mispractice the next day after that game. Oh, you're right. Oh, you're yeah, right. yeah. There have been four. a lot of clunkers. At Soldier Field. Of course. Week four, uh, two and two. That was the truth to all rumors yep. game. Then they go on a run with Case, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, oh, that was a couple years prior, I think. Case oh, was, that's right. That was pre-Cousins. Um, let's bring in our guest of honor today. He appeared on yesterday's Pat McAfee show. He's a big deal. He's Ron Johnson. Uh, do we have animation for Ron? Let's see who was lucky enough to get invited to today's party. It's time to meet our guest of honor. Ron Johnson at 3RonJohnson on Twitter, The Ron Johnson Show. Mondays, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Roundtable on Fridays. And uh, apparently a Pat McAfee favorite. Uh, Has the paparazzi (laughs) stopped swarming you online yet, Ron? They absolutely loved you. (laughs) <laughs> I don't know about all that, but, uh, yeah, no, it was a good time. Uh, Darius Butler, you know, friend of our show came on our show, uh, him and Pat reached out saying, Hey, can you come on? And they gave me a time and, uh, you know, thank goodness it worked out. Cause yeah, it was, it, it was a fun time. And so, uh, looking forward to, you know, what the future holds with that one. Yeah. We got your take on the TJ Hawkinson deal yesterday on your show, but let, now that you've had a day to digest it, any new thoughts about this acquisition with uh, with Hawkinson joining the Vikings? Uh, I think, you know, if you look at the history of the NFL, uh, players have become uh, part of teams due to injury all the time. And it ends up either working out or it becomes like a one day, you know, one or whatever, sorry, one season in and then they're back out. So, you know, the jury's out on what's this going to be. Is this going to be a long-term signing uh, where they try to, you know, he was a first-round pick tight end. So he was, you know, slated to be a George Kittle, Travis Kelsey type. Um, with, with this offense that he's been under, as we know, it's been extremely anemic. I uh, haven't really been able to find ways to get him the ball specifically. Uh, they've tried. I mean, he, he did have 101 targets one year, did make a Pro Bowl, uh, but just no success elsewhere. When the defense can't get off the field, it uh, doesn't matter how many. I mean, look at Calvin Johnson. I mean, he's, he's a, a great picture of what that looks like when, when you're in an offense where you're just getting, you know, target after target, but we're not actually scoring. We're not actually making moves. Uh, so when you come to the Vikings, what I look at TJ Hawkins and one, uh, as far as yak, he, uh, he's the number, uh, two tight end right now for yak. He's one of the top, I think four or five, uh, 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 as far as yak overall receivers, he's had one of the longest plays with yak this season as well. Uh, I was like, I think he had like 81 yard and 53 of that was yak. So, um, he's a he's a a big, strong, physical. I like that Kevin O'Connell said red zone, third down passing situations, uh, because in the red zone you you have to figure it out. When you look at Justin Jefferson right now with 13 targets in the red zone, uh, but only like five or six catches, that's not uh, getting it done. And what's happening is teams know it's going to Jefferson. Well, now 
if you do that and you give Kirk Cousins that look where you're you're saying, hey, look, you got to go elsewhere. Well, he has an elsewhere now. He had Adam Thielen. We know he had KJ Osborne. But now he has a true elsewhere, too, with, hey, let's put Justin on one side, TJ on the other, or let's put him on the same side, see how they handle it. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what this looks like. Uh, but I, I just think you get a big, strong, physical tight end willing to block, but also – he, he's a he's a true tight end. Like he's a he's a guy that was you know drafted to be the next great. So we'll see what happens. Ron, you played in the NFL, obviously. Uh, you, you hear teams all offseason, OTAs, training camp, preseason, trying to digest the playbook, get their chemistry and timing down, things like that. Hawkinson, brand new playbook, middle of the season. How long realistically? What's this timetable look like? Where you expect him to get up to full speed? You hear him yesterday talking to the media. <clears throat> saying, well, football's football at the end of the day. It's more about the verbiage than anything. Do you think this is a couple weeks kind of thing? Or maybe realistically, not until next year, will he really understand this entire scheme and playbook 100%? Well, I'm not going to hate on University of Iowa. Uh, I don't know how smart their grads are. <laughs> like, I could, I, could, I could say, like, they're dumb as hell. He but said I'm not hating on Iowa. I'm not going to hate on Iowa. Um, when, when you're when you're a tight end, you know you have to be one of the smarter players on the field because you have to understand the passing concepts and the run concepts as well, and the pass protection uh, and the run blocking. I mean, there's a lot to know with the tight end, and so you know changing protections, flipping the mic, you got to know all of that. You got to understand who's the hot guy. So some of, like you said, the verbiage is going to be the big thing, and I think what Kevin O'Connell is smart enough to do is say, hey what what was your cowboy, you know, which is a corner route and a hitch on the outside. He might say it was whatever. He's going to make sure he knows, okay, your cowboy is our X. You know, uh, if there was a number system in Detroit where, you know, you got the number route tree where one is a hitch, two is a slant, three is an out, so on and so forth. Um, he, he can, you know, it's help him explain that too. Like, hey, uh, he can also tag a lot. So he can go like trips left, uh, you know, Z zip motion, Y hook. So he's going to tell TJ, if he's the Y, what you're running. He can go bunch left, uh, Y's in the bunch, and go, you know, whatever the play is called, but then also make sure he knows why shallow. There's ways to help him out um, and make it easy early on. You look at Christian McCaffrey, and everybody talk about the Stanford grad and how quick he's picked up this Shanahan offense uh, in San Francisco. I, I, I think, you know, coming from the Big Ten, honestly, the Big Ten is a smart school, except for Michigan State, who likes to jump players and beat them up in the tunnel. And, and that's not all of Michigan State. That's just a few dumb players that made a huge mistake. Um, but when you when you think about that, if you if you look at what TJ Hawkinson's learned early on, um, if you look at the Lions' offense, you have to be pretty smart to be in that offense because it doesn't look like they know what they're doing. So you got to kind of know what you're doing, uh, even though the coaches don't know what they're doing. And and we brought this up before on our, on our show, Sam. The Lions offense actually was pretty good as far as stats. They just couldn't put the ball across that line. Like they had a ton of stats. But then you look at the other stuff, they weren't scoring. And I think that's going to be the key. And when you, when you look at some of the Viking stats where TJ Hawkins really can help, you know, in the first eight minutes on third down, or sorry, in the first eight minutes uh, as far as getting first downs or touchdowns, the Vikings are third in the NFL. And so that's an opportunity now to even build on that. And like you said, third down, how can we make sure to not go three and out early? If it's third and four, I'm just going to run like a hook route with my big, huge tight end and say, put a linebacker on your back, box them out like Kyle Rudolph used to do, and just Kirk – Throw it right in front of him. Throw a pop pass and let him just use his frame, his long arms, his catch radius, and, and, and little things like that. Being able to extend drives where, you know, they're one of the top five offenses within the first eight minutes. How do they sustain and continue that? The red zone, same thing. You bring up the red zone stats. How do you continue in that? Well, you had the guy in TJ Hawkinson do it. Coming up this week, we've got uh, the Commanders and Scary Terry. I can't stop thinking about how DeAndre Hopkins got 159 yards primarily on Cameron Dantzler. And I'm, I got to think Washington's looking at that and going, hmm, let's put our guy on him. So what can the Vikings do to maybe mitigate that a little bit? Uh, I mean, when you look at, like, I think the red zone defense for the Vikings and the red zone offense, if you look, you know, kind of the counterparts, the red zone offense – 
for the Redskins, or sorry, the Commanders is 22.8% on first getting first downs or touchdowns in the red zone. So they're 17th in the NFL there. They're not doing a great job of extending. They're selling for field goals. They've only had 12 touchdowns compared to the Vikings' 18 touchdowns, which is third in the NFL. So if you look at that, how can the Vikings bend but don't break defense work? I mean, the red zone defense of the Vikings is 32nd. 14 touchdowns is 13th most. Um, you look at field goals, though. They've only allowed two field goals, which is they're tied for the least amount of field goals in the red zone, which that means they're getting turnovers. They're forcing things their way. They're third in the NFL right now in turnovers. And so you look at Dallas, Buffalo, or the other two teams who've had the least amount of plays uh, in the red zone, 68 plays for the Vikings, and then Buffalo and Dallas, or, or Buffalo and Kansas City, the other two defenses that have only allowed two field goals. So I, I think it goes to that. Like, Scary Terry, yeah, he, he's a threat. Uh, but I feel like for some reason, when you've got Zadarius Smith at eight and a half sacks and, and you're going to have eventually, eventually, we're going to have a Daniil Hunter. He's going to figure this out, how to stand up and get pressure. Or the coach is going to say, screw this, put your hand in the ground, do it. I know you're a linebacker, but do what's comfortable to go get the quarterback. I, I think that's the recipe. Like, don't give up the touchdown, try to hold him a field goal or try to go for the turnover. Um, and, and you look at the turnovers uh, for the commanders, that's the other side of this. They're negative four in turnover ratio, which is 26. So I, I think you let you let Taylor Heineke make the mistakes. You play your game. Uh, he's going to give you a ball or two. You Harrison Smith can kind of like disguise it. I would give him looks to make him think, yeah, you know, uh, Terry McLaurin, uh, McLaurin is wide open or he's going to be open or we're giving him one-on-one -on -one coverage. Give him that look and then shoot Harrison Smith over the top or Cam Bynum underneath. You got to be able to find ways to rob some of these Taylor because he's going to he's gonna be a little bit more juice. Taylor Heineke was with the Vikings, didn't make it. You know, I think he kicked a glass or something to get into a door or something after a party. Mm -hmm. uh, so glass, door, gate. Um, and he wants to show this organization, even though – the GM is gone. It's a new regime. He wants to show everybody, hey, you should have kept me in Minnesota. I could have been a great backup for you. Um, so he's going to be a little bit more juice. He's going to force the issue. And I think the Vikings defense just has to wait their turn because eventually he's going to turn the ball over, I think, twice this game. Uh, can so I just Heineke, follow up to that real, real yeah, quick, Ron? Just a, just a follow-up question. When you've got a cornerback playing at such a high level like Patrick Peterson is, and you're facing an opposing receiver that's just clearly head and shoulders better than everybody else, it's so easy for fans to just scream at their TV saying, why don't they just shadow Patrick Peterson on Terry McLaurin? What are the downsides or cons of shadowing a guy like that? Well, for one, they've only scored 17.8 points per game, and they're 27th in the NFL. So I don't think you need to overthink this commander's team. Like, yeah, he's a scary receiver. Yeah, he makes highlights. He's on SportsCenter every week. But then that's far and few between. Like, thank goodness the Packers just disrespected the crap out of Taylor Heineke and said, we're going to man these guys up. No, you sit back. You want him to try to beat you in the pocket and try to find that second, third read. Uh, when you look at the Dolphins' touchdown, when Kirk Cousins was going to go to Irv Smith, came back to his second read, which I think was Adam Thielen in the back of the end zone, that's Kirk being quick. I don't think Taylor Heineke is as quick getting off that first read, going to that second read, and then finding his third read. I think that's what you want. You want a Taylor Heineke that's scanning the field to the point where he gets a little nervous. You let that pass rush get to him, and that's how you play this game. He's not going to destroy you with his legs he can run but he's not going to destroy you with his legs so I don't feel like this is a game where you overthink it and you say hey Patrick I, you know you need to shut this guy down oh you have one of the two of the best safeties I think that are playing really well together right now in Cam Bynum and, and Harrison Smith let them do what they do let them disguise let them rock and roll and, and make the coverage look different than it is when you're playing quarters coverage Make sure you understand who's the robber. If, you know, Harrison Smith brings up all the time, like, or, or Cam Bynum came in our show and bought this up. Like, if they're in quarters, but Harrison Smith knows it's going to be like an, an overall that he can rob, he knows, hey, I got to kind of play middle of the field a little bit more than quarters because Harrison Smith is going to go after this one. And, and I think that's what you're going to see this game. You're going to see a quarters look where Taylor Heineke is going to be a little bit late. He's going to try to throw an over route or some kind of deep dig route. And one of those two safeties is going to get a chance to get an interception. Now, whether they catch it or not, that's up to them, but it's coming because there's no – again, I bring it up. There's no reason to try to play some kind of weird cowboy defense. If you want to get aggressive, wait till the Buffalo Bills. Like that's – Stephon Diggs is the guy to get aggressive with and try to figure out how to get in his head a little bit and, and know that either way he's going to find a way to beat you. 
and you know you can't let Josh Allen run on you. But I don't think this commander's offense is that type of offense. They're good. Uh, they can move the ball. But like I said, I, I would let Taylor Heineke just make the mistakes and have to matriculate down the field and get seven, you know, have a 17 play drive and see if he can do it. Ron, thanks so much for your time. We always appreciate it. You're on the round table tomorrow with Luke, myself, and Reggie Wilson on Twitter at three Ron Johnson, Vikings game day live. Uh, we'll talk to you soon, Ron. All right. See you tomorrow. All right, let's pick up where we left off. We had a couple more nerdy stats. Then I've got three Washington talkers I want to run through, and then we'll make our betting picks for the week. But you know what? Before we do that, i got to stop and tell you about Built Bar. They've got some new flavors because they're constantly reimagining. Cookie dough topper, coconut brownie bar, coconut brownie topper, white chocolate peppermint granola. Their take on a granola bar, which is so cool. Um... They're revolutionizing nutrition, guys. 100% real chocolate, 17 grams of protein for a nice pick-me-up, shockingly low sugar and calories, 130 calories. That's it. Sink your teeth into these new Built Bar flavors. I'm not, I'm not joking you. You've got to try this from Built Bar. And this is how you can get it cheaply, 15% off your order right now at Built.com. Use the promo code LOCKEDON15. That's 15% off your order right now at Built.com. Promo code LOCKEDON15. Load up for the holiday season. Built.com. Nerdy stats. Luke Inman, what you got? I just love these ESPN win rates, run stop win rate, pass rush win rate. It's fun right now because four of the five Vikings offensive linemen are in the top 10 in the entire NFL at their respective positions in either pass block or run block win rate. Garrett Bradbury actually in the top six in both categories, which... I think if you told anybody at the beginning of this season, you'd think they were, I don't know, maybe off their meds. So that's fun. Daniil Hunter, the guy who everybody thinks maybe should just retire. He can't play football anymore because now he's in a 3-4. He's the eighth best edge player in run-stop win rate. He's probably not collecting the stats quite yet, but he's still impacting the game in a big way for that front seven, actually helping the guys around him rack up the stats in the meantime. So pretty good stuff in the trenches for the Vikings right now. So I'm sort of following up on the last one. By the way, we got like six of these from Ron Johnson. Excellent stuff. Um, so yes. last time I talked about how the Vikings didn't blitz uh, safeties, right? Broadening that, against Arizona, they had their lowest blitz percentage of the entire season. Zadarius Smith had a, an award-winning day because... The Cardinals had a bunch of backup linemen. Well, guess who is starting at center? Backup Tyler Larson, who has been struggling. You do the math. Yeah, Chase Rulier, the pride of Burnsville, out for Washington. Mm -hmm. Been out. Which is a bummer, because I like Chase Rulier. Um, I've got three Washington talkers. Let's move through these quickly. But I want your ranking. Where does Taylor Heineke rank? amongst Vikings backups who had cult followings and never amounted to anything in Minnesota? Is he one, <laughs> two, three? It, it's, it's pretty tough to surpass the hype and the love that was and for still some, I think, showered onto Kyle Sloter, right? In fact, you go look at my Twitter, Avi, right now, I may still be part of the cult, but um, he, he's got to be in the mix right there, one and two, Heineke, Sloter. <laughs> Who's the other guy? Not um, that's Teddy not your Bridgewater. guy. Uh, McLeod Bethel Thompson was up there, but yes. Joe Webb's got to be a sleeper. John Joe David Webb, Moody. the ultimate that was athlete. Just fun names. Yeah. Wide receiver turned quarterback, turned back to wide receiver in Carolina. I think he ran like a 4 4 40, uh, could jump through the roof, testing off the charts. You got the entire fan base screaming for the Blazer package with Webb, Percy Harvin, Adrian Peterson. Uh, Webb had a serious fault calling there for a while. I'm not ashamed to admit it. I was part of the club. So I think I go Sloter one, Heineke two, Webb three. Are, are, yeah. Wait, are we ranking the following or are we ranking the accomplishments of? Just the guy. Kyle Sloter can't make a team. Sub subjective. I mean, you're not ranking their ability. Okay. You're just ranking the, the cult. Okay. Yeah, like the size of their like, okay. like the champ hype kind of thing. Yeah. Got it. Hmm. Because Kyle Sloter is a name searcher, and he will argue with you online. And I don't know if this is a positive or a negative for this particular ranking. 
I think he's. I'll probably one. go with Joe Webb, and then Sloter and then Heineke, and everybody else was just a, fun, a funky name. You could argue that Joe Webb actually was given a chance, like that he actually did make something of himself. He started a playoff game, like he might not even he qualify had like a 12 for this year career. <laughs> this ranking. Oh yeah, I know because they took him all away from being a quarterback. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, on name, it's McLeod Bethel. No, I'm sorry. It's John David Booty, then McLeod Bethel Thompson. The three name guys mm-hmm. just BLT. rocked. Um, Sloter was the most tantalizing with, like, what he showed in the preseason, even though it wasn't sustainable. I would say Heineke is, like, three or four. I don't know if people – I think it might be a little retroactive with how people are, like, remembering him. Although he did have a very fun preseason comeback against San Francisco where he didn't he walk off with a two-point conversion scramble. Am I remembering this correctly? Mm-hmm. I think yeah. so, yeah. Yeah, that's a pretty epic moment. So I think Heineke will have some, uh, some juice, which leads me to the other guy who's also facing his former team, Kirk Cousins. Which fan base has more grounds to be irritated with their lack of success with Kirk Cousins, is it Washington or is it Minnesota? Oh, it's for sure Washington. You yeah, see what they're dealing with since right. they let Kirk go. I think his record in Washington was Dwayne Haskins. <laughs> I think his record in Washington was twenty six thirty and one. Record in Minnesota thirty nine thirty and one. Zero and one in playoff games in Washington. At least he's won one playoff game. He's one and one here in Minnesota. Um, I think it's easy to say I'm with Luke without a doubt. It's got to be Washington fans, but I guess if you're going to play devil's advocate, you would say, yeah, but the bar is so much higher here in Minnesota. The expectations are higher when you're getting paid to be a top 10 quarterback, make the playoffs every year. So I understand the question you're posing both sides of the coin. I still think though, looking at his time here in Minnesota and now seeing what he's doing under KOC, like the years, the team struggled in 2020, 2021. Now looking back, don't really seem to be, you know, all on Kirk's shoulders. In fact, I think, I mean, he led the team down countless times for what should have been game-winning drives. Defense obviously failed him. Coaching decisions failed them. And even with all that, I think he still had seven game-winning drives in those two years and something like three or four fourth-quarter comebacks. So it's tough now, especially that we're seeing what we're seeing under KOC, to put up those lost years, we'll call them, on Kirk anymore, knowing that a lot of it had to do with coaching more than anything else. But yeah, I think you got to go with Washington's fans here for sure. It, like, is it Luke, part you had of a revelation. That, like, well, you had a revelation the way, there for Well, a I, I think I misunderstood the question because it's with, with the lack of success in the year. Like, yeah, to, to Luke's point, Cousins exceeded the expectation he had as the fourth-round pick in Washington. Well, by the time he got here, the expectation was different. So, yeah, that that's that. But does it count toward this that – when Washington let Cousins go, it wasn't an evaluation. It wasn't a, we don't think that you're a good quarterback. We don't need you. We would rather have Case Keenum. It was like business side stuff. He got sick of signing franchise mm-hmm. tags and it soured the relationship. Mm-hmm. It was Dan Snyder toxicity. It was the same thing that it always comes down to for Washington. So it's it's just like another thumb in the wound. Um so I, I I don't know. They have a lot more to be irritated about, but when it comes to Cousins's actual play versus Cousins's expectations, yeah, sure. When he was you know a second round or a second year fourth round rookie, and he actually was playing like he looked like maybe he could be a starter, you're going to be a little bit happier with that than a, as a fan base than as like a high paid, highly paid quarterback who's like eleventh in the league. Yeah. So speaking of expectations, I would argue that 2016 might have been one of his most disappointing seasons because remember they were coming off the playoff appearance the division championship in cousins first year Mm -hmm. so the bar was actually set pretty high he was the next big thing he had taken over for rg3 the 2016 washington team was a top five offense in many regards that was an explosive offensive team oh jordan davis year second in passing yards that year and then Kirk, in yeah, the almost final five thousand passing games, yards, right? Yeah, it, it was unbelievable. Is it like it was McVay, that was McFlur, Shanahan, yeah. all on that staff? Trust. Wow, Matt Cavanaugh, yeah. Wes Phillips was on that staff. Wow. Greg mm-hmm. Minuski, like a lot of the guys that are here now. And then in the last okay, two home was games, there too, wasn't he? 
Or did he not join? So O'Connell was 17, I, okay. I, I believe. Yeah, unless it's just not listing him here. But that was the year where week 15, they score 15 points at home and lose. And then week 17 at home, they score 10 points and lose. And that began the Kirk Cousins melts in big games narrative. And 2017, they had a ton of adversity, missed the playoffs again, and then the rest is history. Um, I would still argue that 2021 and 2018 were massive, massive whiffs that the Vikings missing the playoffs those years were inexcusable, and Kirk has to own a piece of that. Um, but I think despite the nice things he said at the podium yesterday about Washington, he's going to get his brains booed out on Sunday. I mean, it's going to, I think it's going to be vit vitriolic. Would you guys agree? What did he say? Oh, I missed yeah, it. What did he say? Take. Oh, he just, he pumped him up. He said, I loved Washington. Okay. I love the memories. I love the fans. I don't think they're going to buy it. I think well, there's not going to be a tribute video for Kirk Cousins when he comes out of the tunnel. Let's put it that way. <laughs> I have a hot take. Unlocked on Vikings every uh, every Friday episode. I do bold predictions. Sometimes I'll get in on them. I'll put one here. I think the Washington Commanders get booed on Sunday more than Kirk Cousins does. Wow, Ooh. I love it. Oh, I actually love I like it. that. Let's bring out the but don't they have a the Vikings got a matchup goodwill really well built it. up though? They've won three in a row. I mean, the fans are actually possibly excited. They have more federal investigations than wins right now. That's the nerdy stat of the day right there. That's it. Um, <laughs> I actually that's don't know phenomenal. if that's 100% true, but I'm like pretty sure they've got more scandals. We should like, roll with it. Sounds right. Wins. But yeah. yep, I, think, I think they have three wow. federal investigations I think investigations I'm comfortable from saying that it's true. Agencies. We touched on Scary Terry with Ron, um, but I'll ask the question anyway. Will he roast the Vikings less than, more than, or equal to Tyreek Hill and DeAndre Hopkins. He is still, even after the much. big contract, I think he's still one of the more underrated wideouts in the league. Another Ohio State boy under uh, Brian Hartline. Transi these guys just transition to the pro game so seamlessly. Top 10, if not a top five route runner, in my opinion. Great hands. Can do it all. Talents there. But because I think the offense he plays on, the quarterback he plays with, production just doesn't always show up. Tua and Kyler say what you want, but I think they're both better passers than Heineke at this stage. And guys like Hopkins and Tyreek obviously benefit from that. Doesn't mean I, you know, like we talked about with Ron, doesn't mean I, I think you should overlook him, but still going to have to know where he's at on all times uh, on the field, obviously. But I think of the three, you mentioned Tyreek, Waddle, Hopkins. I think McLaurin's on the worst team with the worst quarterbacks. And the stats kind of show that this season. So I don't think he matches the same production any of those other three guys put up on the Vikings secondary he'll still have a good day for sure but but not on that level those guys torched us man yeah yeah not wrong about that no Jahan Dotson um, in this one which will would oh, have taken some attention okay. away yeah he's been out for a while um he's already Curtis ruled Samuel, out huh? uh that is what I was told in crossover Thursday on left on command DNP yes um DNP I yeah I talked to Chris Russell who's been covering the commanders for years on ESPN radio. He, he said, does not expect John Dotson to play. Um, so what, like Curtis Samuel, it's maybe a worse surrounding group of skill players than what Arizona had. Maybe, I don't know if that's actually kind of a debate, which yikes. And I, I think like the other healthy skill players. Like I like when they have McKissick, Deami Brown, Curtis Samuel, Terry McLaurin, like, I, I like that group. They're just not yeah. healthy. And Wait, I'd worry Thomas about Curtis Samuel in the He's always game. banged up. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Good point. Mm -hmm. I will say this. Heineke has targeted McLaurin more than Carson Wentz did eight times the last two weeks, and good things are happening because McLaurin has hauled in three or four contested catches in that time. He's 70% on contested catches for the year. And the last two weeks, his yards per route run has been like 2.1 and 3.1, like absurdly good. So clearly Heineke is willing to take some gambles, throw it into tight windows to McLaurin, and McLaurin's been uh, proving him right. I don't know if that's sustainable, but the way the Vikings play defensively, I would suspect there will be space for McLaurin to feast. Now, does he feast to 150 yards? I don't know about that. 
Uh, I'm, I'm going to say less than Tyreek and DeAndre. And with that, we move into our gambling picks. These are the parameters in case you're joining us for the first time. We started the year with a thousand mythical dollars. We make a pick against the spread and an over-under every week. And these are the standings. Arif Hassan, absent today, leads at 716. Luke Inman, you went 2-0 last week with big bets. You're out of the red and into the black at 536 in second place. Luke Braun just behind at 526, and I am 490. In last, but not that far off of second. This is the most tightly bunched we have been in a long time. So the minimum this week is 90. The maximum is 900. Arif Hassan has the first pick. He sent me his picks, and he selects Miami. Minus five against Chicago for $100. And that sends it to Luke Braun for pick number two. Um, so I looked at these last night. So let me double check that the lines have not changed. But I have been on a Detroit Lions uh, hate parade all season. The line has not changed. Uh, or all, all, all week with this TJ Hawkinson trade. I think they're packing it in, and I think TJ Hawkinson had a lot more impact on them than Detroit fans realize, and that maybe Brad Holmes realizes they're starting something called a Brock Wright at tight end now. They don't have they the, the Lions stink, and they are at home the against the Green Hawkinson Bay Packers. Is wrong. I don't want to be right. <laughs> well, they certainly are not. Uh, Packers three and a half point favorites. Also, Packers versus Lions is just one of those things where as much as we always believe in the Lions, Packers always have their number. It's it's like us playing in Soldier Field. So I'll take Packers minus three and a half. I'll put a Hunsky on it at minus 110. All right, my turn. Uh, I'm going to pick the underwhelming bowl between the Bucks and Rams, which probably would have been the game of the year in the preseason. And... Now it's just like, eh, who's going to announce this one? Chris Myers? Um, Bucks minus three. I'm taking Brady. I like him more than Stafford trying to, like, dig out of a hole. And I think the Buccaneers win. I think they cover. And I'm trying to check the line. It is minus 102. And I'm going to put $142 on it. Inman. Snap the streak last week, going with who else? The Vikings. Never wise, by the way, to bet on this team. Outdoor, on the road, on grass. But here we are, minus three and a half. Washington's won but. three in a row. <laughs> but here we are. Washington, uh, <laughs> Washington's won three in a row. Hopefully they come back down to earth. It's the Kirk revenge game. You know he's going to bring the heat. The vibes are high. They just trade for TJ Hawkinson. Don't expect him to actually play or do much if he does. But three and a half. I think they uh, th they can cover that three and a half. It's at minus one hundred four. Now that I'm back in the green here a little bit, I'm gonna take a step back a little bit. I'm not gonna get too wild. I'm gonna go with one hundred and fifty bucks at minus one hundred four. Vikings minus three and a half. Now coming back, I'm looking at these over unders. Nothing really jumping out at me here. Don't like a lot of these. Um, I'm gonna go with. I'm going to take the uh, Ravens Saints Monday night over 47 and a half. Don't ask me why. 150 bucks. That's at minus 115. Thanks, you Luke. Advice. Your picks are in. Comes back to me. I'm just going to go over on Falcons Chargers because those teams are kind of fun offensively and, and seem to be a little more immune to this like scoring depression that we're in. Uh, Atlanta is just an unexpectedly interesting offense, and I'm going to back them. So over 49 and a half, Falcons Chargers. Let me check the number. I can never find it when I need to. I see minus 112, but it could be wrong. And that that's what I see as well. Minus 112. Let's go. Uh, let's beef it up. Let's go $207. Ooh. Wow, no Mike Williams, no Keenan Allen. Gutsy. That's all right. I got my boy Eckler. That Falcons defense is a defense. It sure is. They got 11 <laughs> players. <laughs> Braun. One of the sneaky best offenses in the league right now, even though their team is falling apart, Las Vegas Raiders. 
Going into Jacksonville, playing against the Jags. I just can't stop betting on Jags games. I caught the fever from Luke. Uh, over 47.5, minus 115, and I'll put $115 on it. That is just a just a bad idea. Um, Arif's second pick. <laughs> <laughs> uh, never bet he on needs Jags an over-under. Trust me. So he, he wanted to bet Vikings over. He can't, so that goes down to Panthers-Bengals ah, over. Can someone check the, the line for me? Over 42.5 at minus 110. All right, we're going with it. He bids 100 on it. And the picks are in. Uh, good luck, gentlemen. Everybody has been a little better of late. I don't think anybody's gotten shut out the last two weeks. Nonetheless, these are our – this is crazy. These are our total records. Arif, 6-10. and 10. Inman, 6-10. and 10. Me, 6-10. and 10. Braun, 6-9-1. <laughs> so you've got the best winning. Wow, what a title. stud. The push. What was the push? I can't remember. I it was like week two. It was a while ago. Yeah. It was a it was a primetime like, game. I think you're right. I think you're right. I, that's, I was that's watching keeping it, like, you uh, on my couch. Yeah, that's what's keeping you in second place right now. Is that push? All right, that was a show. Um, Luke Inman, Superior Sports Talk. Luke Braun, Lockdown Vikings, and the postcast with me, Sam Ekstrom, on the Ron Johnson Show. Check out uh, the YouTube channel. Subscribe, like, comment. And find us wherever you find your podcast, where we are free and available, and Amazon Fire and Roku as well. Check it out. Matt DeBritz directed. This has been the Minnesota Football Party on Lockdown Sports Minnesota. Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.